DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in David Locke, jazz radio voice. He is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. And David is joining us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. David, good morning. I hear the weather there is delightful. Uh, we're getting more snow, and we got uh, snow on uh, on the plaza outside the arena. So I'd assume up on the mountain where you like to ski, they're doing great. You're you're missing you're missing twenty four inches. Yak says so. That's about time. We needed it, and it is a guarantee. Now, if the Jazz are traveling again, if anybody needs to know when to schedule their ski day, find the Utah Jazz being out of town, and you can guarantee a good snowstorm. Powder days always correspond to Locke's travel schedule. Huh? I don't think if they get to finals, we're going to have a good snowstorm. You know, the way they're playing right now, we can start talking So the Jazz handle the Sixers, blow the game open in the third quarter again, like they did in Minnesota. Watching the games, I don't see a whole lot to complain about. It seems like the bigger question is, how long, I mean, it's such a grind, guys get hurt, travel wears guys down, guys get sick, whatever, or guys just lose their focus. They, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, they get bored with the winning, lose their focus, and they aren't quite as dialed in as the Jazz are right now. Is the biggest question now, how long can they stay this dialed in? No, I think they still, I mean, what's really special about, yes, so yes in one sense, but I think it's still the same quest that Quinn has kind of defined for these guys, which to your point of being dialed in is a really hard ask for them. And that is like, let's be ready at game 70 and 75. Like everything is about getting better at game 70 and 75. And there were two plays this trip that jumped out to me of that. And both of them were cases where without getting into boring specifics, the other team changed their defense. Out of no, out of what they regularly do, into something dramatically different, and in both circumstances, the Jazz reacted perfectly and got a wide open look. I don't actually even know if they made either shot, but it was such a clear sign of, you know, okay, so you've been defending us this way all day, and you try to surprise us. The minute our guys have now played together enough, understand it well enough, coach, smart enough, that they recognized it uh, perfectly. And actually, maybe most importantly, both times Donovan had the ball. And so you're seeing his maturation of making reads and recognizing what's going on. They're, they're, they're sharp right now, particularly offensively. So with them being as sharp as they've been offensively, as you say, is there any defense that can stop them beyond them missing shots? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Last night there were some components that you would have thought would have worked, and they didn't. Um, Golden State's going to be able to switch it one through five with really good defenders. Um, Boston switched it one through five without Jalen Brown didn't have quite as good defenders in this little run. Um, um, who's the number two defense in the league? We probably just played them. We've played like all top five defenses recently and throttled all. That's what you said last week as you were previewing yeah. this trip. Um, I mean, it's really incredible. And if you get into it, Boston switched. Um, what was our first stop? Cleveland played kind of a drop, but just a really long over shifted defense. Minnesota trapped the ball, and then Embiid plays pure drop. They only switch about 11% of their pick, so they switch almost none. Um, they only switch by accident. 
And so you have played four entirely different defenses, and they've gotten all of them. The one that jumps out to me the most, PK, to this to your question, is the first half against Minnesota. If you go look, you know, if you go to if somebody wants to do this at home, you go to NBAStats.com and then go to the box score at NBAStats.com, and you can filter out and just look at the first half. And we shoot like forty-four percent. Overall, we're like we take we do take thirty of our forty-seven shots as threes, which is kind of the key here. Um, we we only go eleven of thirty from three. We have two offensive rebounds. We have like four free throw attempts. We're doing absolutely nothing remarkable at all, other than we only turned it over five times. So that was it. the only thing, two things we did that were remarkable: was we didn't turn it over, and we took a huge amount of threes. Our shot distribution was incredible. On that, with that half of basketball, if we did that for the entire year, we'd have the number one offense in the league. It's kind of crazy. So that's us doing absolutely nothing special, but solely based on our shot distribution right now, being so elite that we were the number one offense. We were in the number one offense in the league. Like I, I, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but I haven't checked it this morning. But as of you know, one o'clock last night when we got in, I believe we're. Four and a half points better than any other offense in the NBA right now per 100 possessions, and that's the same difference. One to two is two to 15. And we're nearly 9.6, I think we're 9.6 points above league average since that's been kept, which is, you know, I think since 03 is where the data goes back. Um, I don't think anyone's ever been 9.6 points above average. No one's ever been 10, uh, and we're heading toward it. It's pretty remarkable right now. Tomorrow's a task is they take away the three. They're, they play as analytically smart as we do, so that'll be that'll be interesting to see whether we can have that same advantage. So PK and I were getting into the evolution of the game, and I think to the bigger point, there's some truth to it, but you're probably more dialed in as far as has it been achieved yet, has it been achieved by anybody, or is it something that is maybe within the grasp but not quite there yet? You know, Jerry Sloan wanted all the shots right on top of the rim. That guy wanted layups and dunks, and he'd do all kinds of stuff to create layups and dunks. The game evolves. The coaches still want layups and dunks, but they also want a lot of threes. And so you're trying to force people to shoot the intermediate two. And Chris Paul has gotten spectacularly good at that. Have, is he or anybody else we were talking Well, Donovan's gotten pretty good at the two. Have they gotten to the point where they make enough of those to offset, you know, they don't make as many as they're going to make layups and dunks, but they make so many of them, it offsets the need to have a three because obviously you get the extra point for the three. Has anybody gotten that efficient on a mid-range shot that it's at the point where, hey, this is making sense. You can do a lot of winning with this. Uh, we're getting close on the floater right now. So here's, I'm reading Seth Partnow's book. It's called Mid-Range Theory, if anyone's interested in it. I strongly suggest it. It's a really good kind of history of the analytics and where we are with it. It's really, really, really good. And it's funny. Like, it's well done. Um, and I'm, I, I'm going to actually finish it. Like I never finish these kind of books. So it's, uh, it's not a totally dry read. He makes a really interesting point about what the, the three has done. And he actually has data to back it up. So what the three has done is eliminated the bad shooter from playing in the mid range. Well, we've generally eliminated bad shooters, but the only players now playing in the mid range are Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, George. Like, if you look at our shots, like Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, 
and and Jordan Clarkson will take some mid-range shots. Boyan a little bit. They're they're really high-level shooters. You don't see Royce O'Neal taking a mid-range shot anymore. You don't see. You shouldn't see Thibel taking a mid-range shot anymore. You did a few times last night because we had them pretty flustered. But that's what's actually happened. The evolution of the game is if you go look at the high-usage players, they're taking the same amount of mid-range shots as they ever did. And what's what instead is happening is that the not-very-good players aren't taking them anymore. And then what Partnow's point is that's really interesting is because you've got such a – everyone putting such a demand on the rim – and everyone putting such a demand outside the arc. You're giving the best players in the world more room than ever before mm-hmm. in the mid-range to play. Like, if you think back about Hornacek or Stockton or Jeff Malone coming around those curls or old jazz days, like, Jeff Malone, there was no room in there to take that shot. Now, you come around, you got room because everyone's hugging to the corner three shooters and watching the rim. And so that's – so they've actually el- – eliminated the bad shooters and given the best shooters more room. Um, so that's the first thing onto what you're saying. The Houston Rockets, who are surprising everyone by winning right now, are winning because they have the optimum shot distribution that can be created in the NBA. I worked on this about four years ago and built a model in the summer about what was the optimum shot distribution for a team based on the history of kind of where shots have been in the league. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Not in the summer. Come on. I did. Uh, um, And it's 40% of your shots at the rim, 40% of your shots at three, and 20% of your shots as non-restricted area twos. Um, Ideally, you'd love to be 45, 45, 10, but that's not realistic. There's just a certain amount of shots that are going to happen in the mid-range. And so then the game is – so first thing, Houston's doing it. Last night we came close. Last night I think we were 39, 41, 20. We were pretty perfect last night. As a whole, what what has happened – Sorry, there's a lot of information here, so feel free to interrupt me if you've like rolled back in your eyes or if, when David's done with his Danish. Um, the the league can defenses can take away the rim, offenses dictate how many threes are taken. So it's become a little bit more. Thirty five percent of your shots to the rim, forty five percent of your shots as three is now optimum because it's just too hard to get forty percent of your shots to the rim. But Houston's actually doing it, which is really interesting. Um, I have another thought or three on this, but I'll stop. <laughs> You lost us when you said you you came up with some system in the summer. Should, shouldn't you go golfing? You got a kid who's a good golfer, man. Cats in the cradle. They're going to head off to college. You know you've sent one off to college. Come on, David. Let's golf. So we've played 18 holes. I've gone on a two-hour mountain bike ride. There's still hours left in the day. Yeah, and this guy doesn't sleep much. <laughs> that, there is the, the not sleeping thing. That i got to factor in. I slept through my alarm today. So, therefore, I got seven and a half hours of sleep. It was great. Well, that explains it. <laughs> uh, Conley back-to-back, man. I thought that was forbidden, but now we're seeing it. So, PK, this is super interesting. This is because of Trent Forrest. Go ahead and explain. So, the Jazz are sneaking Trent Forrest into games for somewhere between three and, like, seven minutes every night. And to some extent, it seems irrelevant, Right. But it's really keeping Mike Conley down to somewhere between 26 and 31 minutes a night, depending on the night. And that's making Mike feel less fatigued and more comfortable playing back-to-backs than he was when he was playing 33 or 34 minutes a night. 
It's a really interesting move by the coaching staff. We just see that little substitution. You don't think much of it, but when Trent Forrest suddenly plays three minutes in each half, Mike Conley just went from 32 to 26 minutes, and then he plays back-to-backs. What did he play last night? I think he's gone 24 and 25 in this back-to-back. I was just looking right. it up. I mean, that's you, – you, you sh- You've got to be able. If you're playing 24 minutes, you really got to be able to play the next night. Like, and there's all sorts of studies that show the taxes when you, you know, when you cross over the 30 plus minute mark, 32, 33 minute mark. That's when you're really taxing your body. So then we expect that going forward, I guess. I would think so. I mean, um, and I think there was probably as much as it was health, and later in the year, just knowing Mike as, as I've gotten to know him. I don't think he liked the separation of him from the rest of the team. Sure. Mike's not a demonstrative leader in any way. Like if you actually want to give him a criticism, it's just, he's too nice and too quiet. Like, you know, you'd like him to probably be a little bit more of a demonstrative leader. It's just not who he is. It's he wouldn't be known as the nicest guy in the league that way. And I don't think he liked the fact that he was somehow being separated from the rest of the team. Yeah. I would think he didn't like it on multiple levels. Getting treated like you're different and you're special or getting treated like you're old and fragile, I can see. And and plus, Jeff Hornacek said, I like playing basketball. Playing basketball is a lot more fun than watching basketball. He says, my favorite minutes in the game are not when I'm sitting on the bench. Favorite minutes in the game are when I'm out there. So if you know you're going into a day and you're not going to play and everybody else is, I, I think there's multiple reasons for him not to like that. Jeff Hornacek so interesting. We all have these little stories from talking and spending time with Jeff. And we were all so fortunate to do it. I remember I went to dinner with Jeff in Denver, and we were talking about the end of his career, and he shared with me that, and I was like, you know, did you reti- why did you retire? And he's like, you know, I really retired because I used to drive to the arena every night. And, like, as I got closer, I'd get a little nervous and stuff, like, all right, I've got to be good tonight, got to be good tonight. You know, thinking if I wasn't good, we were going to lose. And... Then later in my career, I would just drive to the arena and be like, well, we'll see. Like, is, you know, I wasn't playing enough to impact the game. It, it really makes me admire Rudy Gay. Because, first of all, he's like, go look at our numbers since Rudy Gay started playing. It's really fairly astronomical. Um, I mean, th- those are the ones. Like, if you want to go get giddy as a jazz fan right now, start looking at us since Rudy Gay started playing. Like, it's, it's pretty nutty. Like, oh, like maybe this is the piece. Um, I mean, frankly, we should have, if we had not won two reviews, we'd have won 11 straight, right? 12 straight? 12 well, straight. 9 and 2 when he plays, and it's a 98 97 loss to the Pelicans and the 119 118 loss, two one point losses, Pelicans and Grizzlies. Right. Bo- both of them, which we had won, but we won a review <laughs> that'll re- like, literally, like the review came out in our quote favor, quotes around that, that then gave the other team a chance to win. Donovan hit the three, the game was over. And then the uh, and then the Rudy had the rebound. The game was over, or Royce had the rebound. The game was over. In both of them, games were over. No reviews. Both games over. We won eleven in a row. We have not lost since Rudy Gay started playing. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's not subtle. Like Eric Pascal's fine. He's worked his ass off and he plays hard and it's great. But Rudy Gay's really good. There were two plays last night where we ran the old traditional horn set, which. We suddenly ran it to Rudy Gay and a quick pick by Rudy Gobert, and Rudy Gay's now coming around the corner on a right-hand dribble to the rack. I I don't know how you guard that. Like we can get into you got a forty percent corner three shooter in each corner. 
Mike Conley enters it to the right elbow to Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay, you set up. Uh, Rudy Gobert comes over, sets a quick pick. Rudy Gay turns the corner. Like, your big can't drop that low. If your big drops, Rudy's on the inside of the guy you just set the pick on. You switch it, Rudy's on the inside of the guy. You just, Rudy Gobert's on the inside of the guy you just set the pick on. Like, I don't know how you guard that. Like, I think that will be a go-to play. We see time. It was so gorgeous last night that I can't imagine Quinn Snyder just doesn't become enamored with that set. Like, there's – I don't know how you guard that. It's really – Reminds me a little bit of the old DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin pick and roll the Clippers used to run at the top there. And it was unguardable. So will Quinn just lay off of that because he doesn't want people to have a chance to figure it out? While you've been talking, uh, ESPN's running a segment here, and I can see in the graphic, has the NFL figured out Lamar Jackson? You know, the more people get a chance, you give smart people more film and a chance to break it down, they might figure something out. So... They might, but I actually had a really interesting dinner on this trip in which I asked some of our coaches, like, if they had to prepare shoot-around against us, what would they do? And it was really interesting how little you can actually touch. Now, in a playoff series, that's a little different, right? Now you can really dig in. But in just a game-to-game sequence, the Jazz are going to run Rudy Gay off a Horns pick three times in a night. Like we're going to run Donovan Mitchell off a of Rudy Gobert pick seventeen times, and we're going to run Mike Conley off a of Rudy Gobert pick twelve times, and we're going to pin down for Boyan about eight times. You're going to worry about those three plays, and the amount of other things we can do offensively that you don't have time to prepare for. It's pretty astronomical. David, we got to leave it right there because Joe Ingles is coming up next. Oh yeah, then you got to go because I wanted to ask you. Like, does it feel like you're watching one of the great offenses of all time? Uh, no. Because the stats say we are, which is, it doesn't, um, I think just your bias that you feel like you have to have LeBron, Michael Jordan, Kobe, you know, someone like that to have the greatest offense of all time. But the stats say we're watching one of the great offenses of all time. We will bring that up with you another week, and we will continue watching. Okay, tell Joe I say hi. I will. See ya. Joe Ingles is coming up next. There's David Locke on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Stay with us for Joe.